0: Last Sunday, we began a brand new four-part teaching series called You'll Be Glad You Did. For the entire month of July as a church family, we're going to be examining what the Bible says about you and I living generously with our time, skills, and resources, and leveraging our lives for what matters most. And last week we looked at one of my favorite passages of Scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is writing and he's reflecting on his life. He's looking back at all of his sacrifice, of his investment, and his service. And here's what he concludes. After years of giving and serving and sacrificing, here's the conclusion at the end of his life. I'm glad I did. I don't regret my investment in God's kingdom. I don't regret my service for the sake of the gospel. I'm glad that I did. And last week, we established kind of a big picture question for this series, that for this whole month, we're going to wrestle with this specific question and hopefully by the end of this month, really have some clarity about what it looks like for us. And here's the question, how am I? Leveraging my time, skills, and resources for maximum kingdom impact. I want us to read that out loud this morning as we begin. One, two, three. How am I leveraging my time, skills, and resources for maximum kingdom impact? That's a really significant question. That's a question that all of us need to have some clarity on. And there's really three big areas in that question. The first one is time. All of us have been entrusted with a limited amount of years and opportunities here on the earth. And we are to utilize them wisely. The second big area in that question is the area of skills. We have all been grace gifted by God with skills and abilities that we're to utilize to honor God and to bless other people. And the last big area in that question is the area of resources. You see, all of us have been entrusted with resources, finances, possessions, and we are to manage those things in a way that is honoring to Jesus. And this weekend, we're going to wrestle with the first area in that question, That is the area of time. So this morning, what we're gonna address is how do you and I leverage our time for maximum kingdom impact? And this week in preparation for this morning, I did a little bit of research to really understand how as as a country, as a people, how are we spending our time over the course of our life? And I found some really interesting information. Did you know that the average American over the course of their life will spend 25 years sleeping? That was pretty significant for me. Did you know that the average American over the course of their life will spend four years inside of a car. I got one for the ladies in the room. Did you know that the average American woman, over the course of their life, will spend two months doing nothing but removing their makeup? <laughs> a couple more Did you know that over the course of our life, we will spend 14 years working a job? And then this is the last one. And this was the one that was the most surprising. And maybe it's just because it's what I really like to do. But the average American, over the course of their lifetime, will spend nine years watching television. You see, when we start talking about time, it's a stewardship issue. It's really an issue of us understanding how are we going to manage or steward what God has entrusted to us. Adrian Rogers made this statement. He said, God's great gift to you, number one, is Jesus. And number two, is time. God has given you time to work, time to serve, time to love, time to laugh, Time to labor, but like any gift, how you use it is really up to you. And we need to see every day, this day and every day, as a gift from God. So this morning we're going to answer the question, how do we leverage time for maximum kingdom impact? If you have a Bible this morning, would you turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5? In just a moment, I'm going to read three verses of Scripture from the book of Ephesians, and we're going to unpack that this morning. But I know typically when we study a passage of Scripture, we've studied verse by verse through that book of the Bible, so we all have a lot of clarity as it relates to the context of that book. Well, for this series, we're studying different sections of the Bible, so we're not totally clear on all the context of the book that we're studying. So what I wanna do very quickly is just give you a couple of statements to clarify the context of the book of Ephesians. It was written by the Apostle Paul to a church called Ephesus. And here's the first thing I want us to know about the context. The book of Ephesians was written to the entire church, not a specific individual. That's very important. Paul wrote this to the entire community, to the entire body, not just to one person. Here's the way Paul opened up the book of Ephesians in chapter 1. He said, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. And that's very important because some of the verses we're going to read, if you read it as if it's individualistic, you're going to hear it differently than if you read it like it's corporate. Paul wrote this book to the whole church. Here's the other thing I want us to know about the context of the book of Ephesians. Paul had a deep desire for the believers in Ephesus to understand their new identity in Jesus. You see, when God saves us, He does not just produce a better version of us. The Bible says that when he saves us, the old has gone and we are given an entirely new nature. You see, Christianity is not me living for Jesus. Christianity is Jesus living his life in and through me. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Paul had a deep passion for these believers in Ephesus to understand their new identity in him. To the point that there are 155 verses in the book of Ephesians. Within those 155 verses, there are 54 references to these believers being in Christ. One third of the book references the reality that these believers at Ephesus had a new identity because of their relationship with Jesus. And here's why that's so important. Because if we do not understand that we are new, free, loved, righteous, and holy in Christ, we will never see ourselves the way that God sees us through his son. This this letter was written to the whole body, and Paul has a deep passion for these believers to know that they are beloved sons and daughters of the Most High, God. So with all that being said, Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 15 through 17. He's just been talking to them about purity, about the world, and challenging them to live in the light, to walk in the light in a way that honors God and imitates God. And then here's what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What I want to do in our time together this morning is I want to share with you three biblical realities about time straight out of this passage of Scripture. So here's the first one. The time we have been given is to be used wisely. The time you and I have been given is to be used wisely. Wisely. He begins in verse 15 by contrasting two different ways that we can walk. We can walk as unwise or we can walk as wise. Look at verse 15 again. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. This phrase, be careful, it means to look or observe with accuracy. It means to look at very, very close. The word walk is speaking about the overall behavior and activity of your life. He's saying, listen, you need to be very concerned about the overall way that you carry yourself in life. And then he says, listen, when you you think about that, I hope you can say that you are walking wisely, not unwise. When the Bible speaks of someone being unwise, it's speaking of a way of life that is apart from God. It's speaking of a way of life that is dependent and trusting in self. Throughout the scriptures, when you see an unwise person mentioned, it's talking about someone who is reckless, someone who doesn't count the cost of their decisions, someone who's careless. Warren Wiersbe said this about being unwise. He says, it is sad to see many professed Christians Drift through life like sleepwalkers who never make the most of the opportunities to serve Christ. So, what it looks like to be unwise means you're not careful, you're not paying attention, you're not engaged in the things of God. But on the other side, there's the option to to carry out the overall behavior of our life as a wise person, meaning we are dependent and trusting in the things of God. We are careful, we are sensitive, we do count the costs of our decisions. And Paul says, that's the way you are to walk. So you could think about it this way. When he references someone being unwise, that means it's someone who's saying, I'm gonna do what I want. That's unwise. Here's what wise means. It means I'm going to submit to what God says. A major difference. And Paul implores us here. He says, listen, you must be people who are wise. And here's why. Because wisdom comes from God. God is the only source of wisdom. He's not a source of wisdom. God is the source of wisdom. I remember several years ago we were studying through the book of Proverbs as a church family, and one of the statements that we landed on that was really significant for me was this. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. That's what wisdom is. Because everything God says is wise. Everything God does is wise. So for you and I to have wisdom, that means we are seeing life from God's perspective. There are a couple of misconceptions that float around when you talk about wisdom. One of those is that age and wisdom are synonymous. And that's not true. Another one is that intellect and wisdom are synonymous. That's not true either. Another misconception is that education and wisdom are the same thing. But that's not true. None of those are bad things. But wisdom can only come from God. And here's, here's why that's so significant. Here's why it's so significant that Paul challenges, is, challenges us first in the area of wisdom. He wants us to get our head around living a life that is wise before he brings up the issue of time. Because we will never steward time the way he desires for us to until we are clear on what it means to walk in wisdom. So first and foremost this morning before we get to the issue of time, we need to understand that wisdom only comes from God. This morning we don't need to talk about a time management system. We don't need to talk about accountability partners to help you understand how you map out your day. First and foremost, if we want to be good stewards of time, we must look to our Heavenly Father to give us His wisdom and lead us to walk wisely as we navigate through life. One of the things I pray for that our pastoral team prays for on a weekly basis is God's wisdom. We don't pray for our wisdom. We don't pray for our best thinking. We beg God to lavish on us His Wisdom, and that's straight out of the scriptures. James chapter one says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to you. So maybe today, your first step towards being a good steward of your time is to begin to ask God to give you wisdom to be able to walk wisely as you navigate through life. The time we've been given is to be used wisely. Here's a second biblical reality. The time we have been given is God's time. Look at verse 16. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. This phrase making the most is a really interesting phrase. It's actually a picture of someone at the marketplace buying up as much as they possibly can for themselves. It's the picture of you and I going to the market and buying as much as we can possibly buy. That's the picture of this phrase, making the most. Well, what does scripture say we're to buy up as much as possible? Time. The word time here in Ephesians chapter five means measured or fixed season, opportunity. Opportunity. In the Bible, there are two big definitions for time. One is tick-tock time, that we would think about a clock with minutes and hours and days and years. That's that's one way to describe time in the Bible. Another way to describe time in the Bible is opportunity. A season that is available right now, but will not last forever. And once it's gone, it's gone. That's the word that Paul uses here in Ephesians chapter 5. He's saying to buy up as much opportunity as you possibly can. Remember, he's writing to the whole church. He's saying, church at Ephesus, leverage as much opportunity as you possibly can in your generation because once that opportunity's gone, it's gone forever. Here's what John MacArthur said about this verse. Paul pleads for us to make the most of our time Immediately after he pleads for us to walk wisely rather than foolishly. Outside of purposeful disobedience of God's word, the most spiritually foolish thing a Christian can do is waste time and opportunity. To fritter away his life in trivia and in half-hearted service to the Lord. When we walk obediently in the narrow way of the gospel, we walk carefully. Making the most of the time, we take full advantage of every opportunity to serve God, redeeming our time for His glory. It's a great statement. In your life and in my life, there are really two big categories that everything falls into. One category are the things that we examine closely. These are things that really at any point in the day, we probably have a pretty clear picture as to what's going on in these areas. Usually these areas are where we have high accountability. These are things like our bank account, things like our our children's well-being and their schedule, things like our responsibilities at work. I dare say most of us would put those in the category of stuff we examine closely On a regular basis. Because the accountability level is high. Examine closely. But there's another category. It's not the things that we examine closely. It's the things that we monitor loosely. These are things that we know they're there. But we may not be exact on exactly what's happening. These are things like how clean your car is. It's probably on your radar. But you don't think about it every day. These are things like how many likes your post just got on Facebook. It's on your radar, but you don't look at it, I hope not, every day. (laughs) Things that you monitor loosely, and usually these are things where you have low accountability. Monitor loosely, examine closely. Let me ask you something. When it comes to your stewardship of time, which category do you put it in? Would you put your stewardship of time in the category of something you examine closely, that you take really serious because you understand it's a stewardship? Or would you put your stewardship of time in the area of something you monitor loosely, that it's on your radar, but you're not really concerned about it? Here's what I want you to know. We will be held accountable before God for the way that we use our time. It's a stewardship. And what the scriptures saying is that the way we steward time is to be in the category of stuff we examine loosely. We're to look closely, to be careful that we are stewarding our time in a way that is wise, that we are seeking God's wisdom as to the way we leverage the opportunities that have been entrusted to us. Most people tend to treat time like it's a never-ending resource that they can do with whatever they choose. The time we've been given is God's time. We're dealing with kingdom time and with kingdom resources. And the opportunities we've been given today are a big deal, and we are to steward them well. The time we've been given is to be used wisely. The time we've been given is God's time. The third reality I want to share with you this morning is this. The time we've been given is for a specific purpose. The time that's been entrusted to us, it's been given to us for a specific reason. Look at verse 17. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He once again revisits the comparison that he made in verse 15. And here's in essence what he's saying. If you're foolish, if you're unwise, you waste opportunity. When an opportunity comes into your life, you waste it because you're foolish. But if you're wise, you leverage it for maximum kingdom impact. That's what Paul's pointing out to us. He's saying that's the will of the Lord. It is God's will for you and for me that we leverage every opportunity that he entrusts to us for maximum kingdom impact. Rick Warren made a statement in one of his books that God used in my life several years ago and I think it fits right in line with the heartbeat of verse 17. Here's what Rick Warren said. You weren't Put on earth to be remembered. You were put here to prepare for eternity. Let me ask you something. As you evaluate how you're leveraging the opportunities in your life, would you say you are leveraging those opportunities so that you will be remembered? Or are you leveraging those opportunities through the lens of the kingdom of God to prepare for eternity? You see, God has given us time for a purpose. Here's the purpose, to leverage it for his glory, to leverage it for his kingdom. It's a stewardship, it's a management issue. Just a moment, I'm going to share with you very quickly four ways that you and I can redeem the time that you and I can redeem the opportunities that are before us as a church family. And each one of these is very significant. But here's the excuse I hear over and over and over as to why these things are not being played out in a person's life. In every scenario, whether it's a counseling appointment, an email, or a a meeting here at church on the weekend, people will say over and over and over, those are all great things, but I just don't have time. Well, here's why I want to challenge you. Maybe it's not that you don't have time to do these things. Maybe it's that they're not a priority in your life. These are opportunities that God has given us that he's put right in front of us as a church. They're not going to be here forever. And my prayer is this morning, we would take a step towards leveraging them for maximum kingdom impact. So four ways that you and I can redeem the time. First of all, treasure the word of God. Treasure the word of God. We say this all the time, but there are places in the world that can't do what we're doing this morning. It's illegal. I had a lady stop by after the last service and tell me how much she loved being here but she was afraid to become a Christian because she knows in her country she would be killed. We've adopted an unreached people group in the Arabian Peninsula. They don't even have a copy of the scriptures in their language. If they wanted to study the passage we're looking at this morning, the first thing they would have to do is learn another language. God has given us in our country an opportunity to treasure the word of God. Are we? As we preach and as we teach, are you engaged in what we're doing? I was on a Skype meeting this week with someone on the other side of the world. And he said, he was talking to me and Pastor Brian. He said, I'm so thankful for the ministry of hope through the internet and your sermons online and through you sending people to train our leaders and missionaries. We don't have the opportunity like you have. Thank you for leveraging it for Kingdom Impact. As a church, God has given us this chance. I don't know how long it's going to be here. I don't know the future of our country. But for right now, we have an opportunity to treasure the word. Now, notice I didn't just say respect the word. You can respect the word and never open the Bible. We have an opportunity to treasure the word of God. And I hope we will leverage it for maximum kingdom impact. Here's another way that you and I can redeem the time. Intentionally invest in the next generation. We can redeem the opportunity that's been put before us to invest into the next generation. Every week as we're gathered here, There are a hundred or so kids that are over in the other building. And we have loving and trained adults who are investing in their lives because we want to seize this moment to invest in the next generation. Why do we put resources towards kids going to camp? Why are we starting Hope Christian Preschool next month and opening it up to our community? Because we want to seize the moment. We want to seize the opportunity we have to invest in the next generation. I read a statement in in April and I'm really surprised that Vance or Tom haven't used it yet in a sermon, but since they haven't, I am, because this statement was a game changer for me. Here's this statement. It's by a man who we talk about um, often. His name's Andy Stanley. Here's what he said. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. That changes the way I think about my 10-month-old daughter. I hope it changes the way you think about the 300-plus kids who we're going to get to invest into in one of our children's environments today. You see, in a lot of cases, we're looking for some action that we can do in and of ourselves to impact the kingdom. But what if, what if we're here to invest in another generation? that's gonna be able to take the gospel to the Wadi people. Now think about that. We have an opportunity as a church. Are we leveraging the opportunity we've been given for maximum kingdom impact? Here's a third way that you and I can redeem the time. Demonstrate kindness to the people in our city who don't know Christ. Christ. 95% of the city of Las Vegas does not have the hope of Jesus. 95%. This morning, we are the church gathered. Tomorrow, we will be the church scattered. And we're going to be rubbing shoulders with this 95%. And I hope that it's on your radar. It's heavy on your heart that you're seeing the opportunities you have to demonstrate kindness to people who don't know Christ. Maybe that's opening a door. Maybe that's buying a lunch. Maybe that's writing an encouraging card. I don't know what that is for you. But you're demonstrating kindness, looking for the opportunity to verbally share the gospel with someone else. One of the opportunities God has given us here at Hope Church is that we live in a city like Las Vegas where there are people all around us who don't know Jesus, one of the things that can happen so often at our job, and it's, it's difficult for me even being a pastor, is we get so overwhelmed with our workload that we forget why God planted us in that job in the first place. You see, you may be a doctor, but God's placed you there as a missionary. You may be a school teacher. But God has placed you there as a missionary. We're going to talk about this more next week. I'm so excited about next week's talk. But we are to be passionate about demonstrating kindness to people in our city who don't have a relationship with God. Here's the fourth way that I believe we can redeem the time. And I want to give you a challenge. Serve the body of Christ treasure the word of God, invest in the next generation, demonstrate kindness, and serve the body of Christ. I read a tweet this week by a man named Warren Bird, and he was sharing some research that was done by the Heart Research Company. Here's what they reported. Forty-two percent of adults in America, 42 percent, Will spend their whole life and never volunteer for one thing. Four out of ten adults in our country will live their whole life as adults and never volunteer for one thing unless they're being paid for it or it directly benefits them. That's the culture we live in. Four out of ten will never volunteer. Here's what I believe. I believe in the church, the people of God, it should be different. And God's given us an opportunity to serve. If you study the life of Jesus, you find a man who was a servant of every person he came in contact with. He was looking for ways that he could serve. When you study the early church, You see a group of people that were meeting needs and loving each other like the world had never seen, to the point that Jesus even said, if you want to know who my disciples are, don't listen to what they say. Watch the way they love one another. If you want to know who the Christians are, watch the way they love and care for each other. Watch the way that they serve people. That's the identifying mark of a believer. As a church... I believe that should be a big deal for us too. And I want you to watch a video of a guy in our church named Zane who I believe understands this principle of the significance of just living generously, doing what he can do to serve the body of Jesus. Watch this video.
1: Hi, my name is Zane, and since 2011, I've been serving here at Hope. Here at Hope, we talk all the time about living generously. And I know that on the weekends, I have that chance to come and spend some time generously investing in the kingdom of Christ. Uh, Whether it's just spending time in the parking lot, being a friendly face to the newcomer, or spending time working with the production team, where we just enhance that experience of what it means to come and worship and hear the message of Christ. Uh, it's a way just to serve the body, a way that doesn't always benefit me directly, but serves the greater good. For me, it's important to serve because it comes right out of the Bible. First Corinthians twelve seven says, to each the Holy Spirit is given for the common good. Uh, so I take that as, as a signal that I better be willing to serve and do it with a joyful heart. Uh, but also I believe we each have a, a place in that body, finding that role, or that niche that can help us experience not only Christ, but the community of Christ as well. I hope you heard through that video um,
0: a heart of generosity. Zane's a guy who has a full-time job, probably just like you. He's got a family. But for him, he recognizes one of the ways he can leverage the opportunity before him is simply by serving the body. Last month, we did a church-wide survey totally anonymous. We don't know who wrote what. We have no idea. But one of the questions on that survey was this. How many hours per week do you spend using your gifts to serve the body of Christ? I want to put some of the data up on the screen and you'll see there kind of different breakdowns. People who serve more than 10 hours. 7% of our church serves more than 10 hours as they weekly serve the body. 6 to 10 hours, 6% three to five hours, 15, one to two hours, 23%. And I just want you to know if you're here and you serve on the weekend or as a small group leader or in any capacity, you are making a difference. And I'm so thankful for you. Thank you for what you do. I know a lot of people don't always see it and it can be difficult, but if you use your gifts to serve the body, thank you for what you do every week. But there was one more category in this survey, if you'll put that up. And it's people who served less than one hour. This was the, the smallest amount of time on the sheet. And you'll see that number is at 48.9%. Half of our community of faith is not spending more than one hour, if any, to utilize and take advantage of the opportunity that's before them. And every week in our series, we want to give you a tangible next step to use your time, your skills, your resources for maximum kingdom impact. And this weekend, the way I really want to challenge you, if you are not serving here in this local fellowship, I want to challenge you to serve. Today is not about making a year-long commitment. Today is about recognizing an area that maybe you need to grow in. And I believe 48.9% of our church needs to grow in this specific area of serving the body. And so what I would want you to do today is to think about the areas that you're interested in and that you can engage. In the seat pocket in front of you, there's a card that just says serving opportunities. And on that card, there are just listed some ministry interests. And for us as a church, these are the areas that we have to get right if we're gonna continue to grow and develop and engage our city, these are all areas that we must get right as a fellowship. And here's what I wanna ask you to do. I want you to check one that interests you. We want to link your passion with the opportunities right here in this fellowship so that you can serve the body of Christ. We're not gonna put you in a spot that you hate. We're not gonna put you with people that you don't get along with. But today, I wanna challenge you to take a next step Maybe that's filling out this card and putting it in the offering basket. Maybe that's as you leave today out in our lobby. We're going to have ministry leaders out there who lead ministries right here at Hope. There's a serving opportunities board out there. You can see more needs that are prevalent right here in our fellowship. One of the ways I believe you and I can redeem the time. And these are areas we don't have to pray about. We don't have to pray about treasuring the word or investing in the next generation, or demonstrating kindness, or serving the body. It's to be a priority for us because God's given us that opportunity. As a church, I want us to be a fellowship that serves one another to the point that it doesn't even make sense to people because they see how much we love and serve each other. We have been entrusted with an opportunity God's given us many opportunities as a fellowship. And ultimately, we're responsible. We're stewards of those opportunities. Our time that's been given to us is to be used wisely. At the end of the day, it's God's time. And it's to be used for a very specific purpose. I pray that you would take a next step today, and I don't know what that is, in learning to leverage your time for maximum kingdom impact. And here's what I believe. If you do, and you begin to walk in wisdom, you'll be glad you did.